0: Back in 2003, I graduated from the now prestigious NCAA Division II national champions, <laughs> and I naively assumed I naively assumed that that ministry positions would just come to me. I had spent five years in school. Yes, I, I went part time for a year. I didn't flunk out or anything. I just took some time off. But I'd spent the five years working on this degree in ministry and and, in Bible and in religion. and, And I prepared myself, equipped myself, done internship. I had done everything to ready myself. And I just assumed every church would want me. I mean, why wouldn't they? And for the next nine months after graduating, I lived with my parents and worked at a paint store. In the interim, I was going on to get my, working on my master's degree because I thought, well, I ain't got nothing better to do. But for nine months, I had no ministry position to fill. And I remember during that time having thoughts like this, God, I have given you my life for a career. I've dedicated the past five years to prepare myself to serve in your kingdom. Why aren't you using me? When when will you take me to the place where I can work? See, I grew impatient with God's timetable for my life. And I imagine some of you have been in a similar situation, waiting on God's timetable and growing frustrated with it. Maybe you're even in that situation right now. Maybe you're wondering something like, Lord, when will you lead me to a better job? Lord, when will I not be single anymore? Lord, when will you bless our family with children? Lord, when will I get well again? Lord, when will the the grief subside? Lord, when will I get past this storm in my life? I'm certain all of us have or will have a when Lord question at some point in our life and personally I, I've never struggled I've never struggled with believing that God can do anything in my life but I have struggled with when God will do something in my life and I've learned that sometimes it's harder to accept God's answer to when than it is to accept his answer to the questions of what how or why Sometimes waiting on God is the most difficult thing, and yet the Bible emphasizes the Bible emphasizes the importance of waiting on God. In Psalm chapter 27 and verse 14, David offered the following instruction: "Wait for the Lord. be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord." And so what I want to do tonight is talk about waiting on God because As we draw near to the end of 2023, I'm certain some of us could look back on the year and wonder why God never got around to answering our prayer or or why God never got around to addressing some issue in our life. And then there are others of us who are looking ahead, anticipating 2024 and hoping that in the new year, That will be the year that God shows up in whatever capacity we need in our lives. That whether you're looking back or looking ahead, to some degree, waiting on God might be a factor. But in order for us to talk about waiting on God, we've got to acknowledge a couple of truths. First and foremost, we've got to acknowledge that we all suffer from weight loss and not the good kind. If you don't believe me, uh, let me give you a scenario that will prove my point. But it is a scenario that many of you will need to go back into your pre-COVID mindsets to grasp. Imagine that you're at the grocery store. Right there, some of you have to go pre-COVID for that. You're there just to get a couple of items and you're in a hurry, so you get in the express checkout lane. But there's a lady in front of you. And you know she's got more than 10 items. It just looks like there's too many things in her cart. And you're impatiently waiting for her to check out. Now in that scenario, do you count how many items she has? When you see someone in the express lane in front of you, do you start counting to see if they've got 10 items or less? I know you do because you're sick like me. Or let's stay in the supermarket for a moment. You've got all your items, and you're walking up to the registers, and you start looking at all the registers—all three that are open, out of the 24 available—and you're starting to figure out which line is going to be the quickest, which line is the shortest, which one will get me to the register fastest, and then you choose your line. But do you stand there and watch all the other lines and see where you would have been if you got a nose? Do you do that? Yes, you do, because you're sick like me. You see, we all suffer from weight loss. We're all in a hurry. We're all looking for a way to speed things up. We want everything to be fast. That's why we have fast food. That's why we have microwave. That's why we have instant meals, even instant pots. We just can't wait on anything. We want our communications fast. That's why we have smartphones that can text message, that can get emails, that have these social media apps that let us get the news right now, even if it's fake. We struggle with waiting, but we're not the only ones. There are some some biblical characters that struggled with it as well. Think about Abraham. Abraham struggled with waiting when he and Sarah decided to use Hagar as a surrogate mother. And God promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child, but in their old age they couldn't wait any longer. So they decided to do something about it right now. Or think about Absalom, the son of David. Absalom struggled with waiting when he decided that he wanted to become king now instead of waiting for his father to abdicate the throne by death or by resignation. And so he attempted, Absalom attempted to take the kingdom by force from his father, and in the end it cost him his life because he wanted it right now. Or even think about the parable of the prodigal son. The youngest son of that father struggled with waiting And it's evident because he demanded his inheritance be given to him for his enjoyment now instead of waiting for his father to pass away. We're not unlike these individuals. We struggle with waiting. And all we're doing when we fail to wait is we're bowing to the idol of instant gratification. We're worshiping a false god. A God called now but just because we struggle with weight loss doesn't mean God does in fact God specializes in weight gain that's the other truth we need to acknowledge see when it comes to waiting God is kind of like an air traffic controller an air traffic controller is perched in the airport's control tower observing flight paths communicating with pilots Telling, telling planes when they can land, when they can take off. He's the guy that you never see, but is often the source of your frustration when you have to sit an exorbitant amount of time on the tarmac. It's his job to direct traffic. It's, it's his job to keep everyone safe. It's, it's his job to make things run smoothly. And sometimes in order to accomplish those objectives, he has to make you wait. God is in heaven observing the paths of our lives, communicating with us through his word, and trying through that very word to maneuver us in the direction of his will. And at times he will give the go-ahead signal, and at times he will ground everything. It's his job to direct traffic. It's his job to keep everyone safe. It's his job to make things run as smoothly as possible. And sometimes in order to accomplish those objectives, He has to make you wait. All throughout the Bible, the effectiveness of God's waiting room is evident. Abraham became a better follower by waiting for Isaac. Such a better follower that when it came time to place Isaac on the altar and sacrifice him to God, he was willing to do it. Joseph became better equipped to be a ruler in Egypt by his waiting in prison. By the things he learned while he was stuck In a jail cell for years Hannah reached the point in her waiting that she was willing to dedicate any child God gave her to his service and from her wait came a man named Samuel David wrote some of the best worship songs of his life when he was waiting on his time to become king as he was a fugitive out there in the caves and Paul learned to be content in all situations because he experienced those times of want while waiting in prison. See, the key to understanding why we wait is to realize that God is sovereign. And therefore, He doesn't have to make us wait. But sometimes He chooses to make us wait because what He is doing in us while we wait is just as important as what we are waiting for. I think Solomon summed up the correct mindset toward waiting when he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11 that God has made everything beautiful in its time. Since the Bible admits that waiting is a part of our relationship with God and instructs us to add waiting to our spiritual repertoire, it would be beneficial for us to consider what waiting really entails. And I believe the ever-practical James provides some guidance in this regard. So I want you to turn with me to the book of James, to the fifth chapter, and I want you to notice what James writes in verses 7 through 11, James chapter 5. He starts off, be patient. That's just a fancier way of saying wait. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. What I find so powerful about this passage is that James is admonishing, James is encouraging, James is instructing us to be patient, to wait. And he uses three metaphors to exemplify what such waiting entails. First, he holds up the farmer as an example of one who waits well. And the farmer teaches us to wait actively. You see, wait, wait is not a passive verb. Wait doesn't mean doing nothing. I think that's the point James is making when he uses the metaphor of a farmer. Farmers are at the mercy of weather and time when it comes to the growth of their crops. But that doesn't mean they have nothing to do in the interim. They have to till the ground. They have to fertilize the soil. They have to plant seeds. They have to do what they can do and then wait for the elements and the laws of nature to do what they can't. And the principle for us to gain from the farming metaphor is that faith requires active wait. Faith means doing what you can do while you wait for God to do what you can't do. So what do we need to be doing while we wait on the Lord to do what only He can do? I'm reminded of what happened to Paul in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas were on a missionary journey. They had just visited Derby and Lystra. They had recruited Timothy. They had strengthened churches that they had established previously. And they intended to go to a new area, to a new province, to the province of Asia, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people who hadn't heard it yet. But we're told in Acts chapter 16 and verse 6 that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit from going to Asia. So what does Paul do? Does he pout? Does he complain? Does he throw a temper tantrum? No, he just sets his sights on a different location, on Bithynia. He has to wait on Asia, so in the meantime, he redirects his attention to another opportunity. But once again, His plans are thwarted by the Holy Spirit, and verse 7 puts puts it like this. It says, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go to Bithynia. So once again, Paul has to wait. But Paul doesn't do nothing. He keeps plugging away as a sower, and he just moves on to Troas, where he has a vision that results in him traveling to Macedonia and sharing the gospel on the continent of Europe. See, the lesson for us to take from Paul's experience is that when you're waiting on the Lord, you should be putting yourself in a position to respond when he deems the wait is over. Paul didn't just sit there and do nothing when he couldn't go to Asia. And he didn't go to his room and pout when he couldn't go to Bithynia. He kept moving to places that needed to hear the gospel. He kept putting himself in a position for God to unleash him. And so when God did decide the wait was over, Paul was already on his way. He was ready. Never waste a good wait. Use your wait to prepare yourself for the next opportunity that God is preparing for you. wait actively. And that leads us to James's second example in this passage. The second example James gives, gives is of the prophets. And the prophets teach us to wait faithfully. Now, by faithfully here, I don't mean obediently. That's how we often use it. In this instance, I'm referring to being full of faith. The prophets teach us to wait trusting that God knows what's best. Look at what James said in verse 10 again. As an example of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. I think James is utilizing the prophets as an example of what faithful waiting looks like. Think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah patiently endured all sorts of persecution while fulfilling his prophetic assignment. There were plots against his life in chapter 11. He was beaten by religious officials and placed in a stockade in chapter 20. At one point, he was even cast into an empty cistern where he was left to die. That was in chapter 38. He suffered all of this just because he spoke the word of the Lord. And yet, despite all that persecution, Jeremiah authored these words in Lamentations chapter 3. Verse 25 and 26. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This is a guy who's endured such hardship, such persecution, such unjust treatment. And he's saying it's good to wait. Think about Isaiah. Isaiah. Isaiah endured a difficult prophetic assignment as well. God made him walk around barefoot and undressed for three years. And it was all a way of prophesying the future imprisonment of the nation of Israel. According to an intertestamental tradition that may be reflected in Hebrews chapter 11, Isaiah died a martyr's death by being sawed in two. And yet Isaiah authored these words in chapter 40 and verse 31. Of his prophecy. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The lesson to be learned from the examples of these prophets, of Jeremiah and Isaiah and others, is that waiting demands trusting in the goodness of God. In other words, if you're going to become a good waiter, then you have to believe with all your heart that God is good all the time. Maybe that's why James wrote these words earlier in his letter. Before he got around to the whole instructions on waiting, he had said this in chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is the orchestrator of every good gift. And if God is good all the time, then that changes how we look at waiting. We start seeing our wait as something that serves His purposes and His objectives and His plans. And when you trust that God has a purpose for the waiting room, Instead of asking, why are you making me wait? You'll start asking, what do you want me to gain from this wait? We have to believe that the waiting room is always for our benefit if we believe that God is good. And yet there is one final metaphor that, Job, that James uses for Waiting here in James chapter 5, and that has to do with Job. You'll notice in verse 11 that James says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He calls upon the story of Job, and Job teaches us to wait expectantly. You may recall that in Job chapter 1 and 2, Job lost everything. In one day, he lost all his flocks as well as all his servants, everything on which his wealth was built. And then he lost all of his children. Yet Job waited. According to Job chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, he worshiped God and said, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Eventually, job's health was taken from him as well as the spiritual support of his wife who encouraged him to curse God and die. But job waited, he said this in job chapter two and verse 10, "Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil?" Now to be fair, Job struggled during his wait. He questioned why these things happened to him, and at times he even... Re- resorted to complaining, but Job never abandoned his faith in God. He believed, in the end, God would still come through for him. And the end of the story of Job, when you get to the 42nd chapter, you look at verses 10 through 12, you find out that the Lord restored the fortunes of Job, and the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginnings. You see, Job waited expectantly. He didn't wait perfectly, but he waited expectantly. He expected God to reward his faithful wait one way or another. Why? Because as James said at the end of this section, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Job was counting on that. So here's the point. You, you don't always know why you're waiting. You don't always know how long you'll have to wait. And you don't always know what God is going to do with your wait. But there is one thing you do know, and that is that God is going to reward you for waiting well. That's why James said back in James chapter 1 and verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. That, that's waiting. That's patience. That's patience. And why is such a one blessed? Because as James said, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Waiting is never easy. Waiting is a test of faith. But successful waiting leads to eternal life. Don't waste a good wait. Because a good wait has beautiful results. I want to take you back to the first verse of the section we focused on here in James chapter 5, verse 7, where James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. The word until is so important because it reminds us that there is something worth waiting for. You know if you've ever been to Disney World, you know that waiting is just part of the experience. You have to wait in line to get into the park. You have to wait in line to get on rides. You have to wait in line to get food. You have to wait for a large part of the experience. But most importantly, when you're with a 5-year-old girl, you have to wait in line to meet princesses. And those lines can be really test your patience, especially when you're waiting in them with a 5-year-old girl. But when you get to the end of that line and your daughter's face lights up as she meets some fictional character that she adores, you realize that the wait was worth it. The point is that until is always worth the wait. And if meeting a fictional character at the end of a long wait results in that kind of expression out of a child... How much more will the expression be when we meet the one who died for us at the end of this wait? Don't waste a good wait until it's always worth it. Until the coming of the Lord. There are many things we have to wait on. All of us have a different wait, I'm sure. But when your wait is in the hands of God, you can guarantee that the end result will be perfect. Don't waste a good wait. Wait on the Lord. I don't know what that will look like for you through the remainder of this year and into next year. But know this. Our God is in control. And whatever he's got you waiting on, He's got a plan. This evening, if you need prayers of this congregation as you wait, if you need the support of this congregation as you wait, if you don't need to wait anymore to put on Christ in baptism, then that invitation is extended. Whatever your need may be, we want to invite you to come while together we stand and sing.